This is a show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week, we'll bring you diverse and unique topics that are guaranteed to stir your fascination. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings, everyone. Richard Solomon and Antonio Sayon. We are We'd like to say we're in Vancouver, but we're really just calling Vancouver. We have a really cool guest. His name is Jose Luis Gutierrez Garcia, and we didn't know how to pronounce the name of his website, so I consulted Miriam website for Miriam Webster for this name. Gyre. There you go. So it's U-P-G-Y-R-E dot org. Now he's really interesting. What he does is he's trying to tackle the problem of ocean pollution. I'm a scuba diver. You know, we all, the ocean is our home and, and you have to respect the ocean. Go way back to when Jacques Cousteau was out there warning us about the dangers of the overfishing and pollution and all the other issues out there. Right. So welcome. So, so it must be, it must be a beautiful in Vancouver this time of year. It is starting to finally get uh, summer like over here. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, Richard. Hello, Antonio. Hi. So, welcome to Hello. the show. Uh, I am a big fan of Vancouver and uh, spent plenty of time there. But but tell me, what do you actually do from Vancouver? Because you have a beautiful web. You have a great website, and uh, you have all these yes, great great advisors. Uh, how do you, how are you tackling ocean pollution? Upcycle the Gyre Society, and the short name for it is Upgyres. We work to prevent plastic from, or plastic waste from polluting the environment, land, air, and ocean, and our waterways. That's what we're doing with our initiatives, and we have several of them. Okay, wow. so, so okay, that, that's, it, that's the macro answer, but I want to know, what is the micro answer? In other words, how are you actually accomplishing this? Because plastic is everywhere. I understand there's a part of there's a part of like the Pacific Ocean, I think, or whatever, where there's sort of like a mountain of plastic garbage all just coagulated together. How you know how how are you dealing with? It? I know there's the problem of microbeads. I mean, there's numerous numerous uh, problems, and I assume you have some solutions and some solutions that are emerging. So let's let's talk. What are the different kinds of pollution challenges that you're facing? Certainly. So you're right. There is micro and macro problems about uh, plastic in the ocean. So, well, and we work on both. We we work on the micro. We work on the meso, and we work on the macro problem of plastic waste leaking into the ocean. Uh, in regards to the micro uh, problem, which is microplastic beads in cosmetics and toiletries, we were the first ones in Canada, or the first ones to bring the microplastic bead or the bead the microbead campaign from its originating country in the Netherlands to Canada. Right. And now, successfully, we have banned microplastics from being manufactured with uh, in cosmetics and toiletries and imported into the country. Which is a great win. We're also working. Yeah, go ahead. No, so uh, the uh, so you deal in practices and uh, uh, cleaning up actions, like in the oceans when it deals with plastics. Is that do you also contribute to that factor? Is that what you guys, uh, your company, does also? Well, we're a science-based organization. We're a non-for-profit organization. We're not a company. Okay. And okay. and we deal with both microplastics, which was brought to our attention by the um, uh, Plastic Soup Foundation in the Netherlands when we met them in Belgium. And uh, we also were aware or were made aware about the microfiber pollution by uh, Dr. Anthony Brown, who was the first one to report the incredible amounts of micro fiber from textiles being found in sh- on shore. So we work on that as well. All right. So for the people out there who are listening, why, why is it a problem? Is it because uh, different uh, species eat it and then it becomes stuck in their bodies? 
Uh, is it because it's uh, long-term uh, corrosive to people and other people who eat things in the food chain, or is it other things as well? It is all of that. For uh, Let's say microplastic and microbeads are so tiny that plankton are eating it. And plankton are the source food stuff of all the rest of the bigger fish and mammals. So once micro, micro, uh, sorry, once plankton eat it, then bigger fish eat it, bigger fish eat it, bigger fish eat it until eventually it ends up on our plate. The problem with plastic fibers and microplastic is that it's not only ingested by fish and by crustaceans, it, it's also aspired, which means that crabs are are breathing it into their lungs. So it's in their system. In Vancouver, there is an oyster farmer. And recently in the news on CBC uh, was highlighted the fact that they have finally acknowledged the fact that their oysters are absorbing these plastics to the point where now it's not about how do we stop them from eating this plastic. There is so much that they're saying, well, we know that it's, they're contaminated. What is the safe level of contamination of these plastics getting into our oysters for them to be edible? Oy. And we're working <laughs> to the point where we don't want to see them saying, this is the safe level. Zero is the safe level. There should be zero microplastics. There should be zero microfibers and toxins absorbed and transported by these microfibers and microplastics into our food, uh, into our food chain. There should be zero. We should have no safe levels of these kind of pollutants into our food stuff, into our uh, food chain. Well, because it's like admitting defeat almost. I would think so. Right? And it's gotten yeah. to the point where, yeah, where these farmers, farmer, uh, oyster farmers are saying, well, we know it's there. There isn't any solution to stop it from discharging into the ocean. So our product is constantly going to be... Uh, um, in peril, yes, in peril. Yeah, so how much of it is safe enough for humans to consume? So it's a lot of work, but we're working on it, and we're working on a science base. We're working with the Vancouver Aquarium Ocean Pollution Research Program, and Dr. Peter Ross, who is the director of that program, for us to establish and define business-based solutions. That's smart. That's really smart. So basically, it's a, I would call it like a, a plastic uh, pollution, but is it is definitely affecting the ecosystem? Is that is that what it's doing? And is it affecting us, right, as human beings? Because I'll be honest with you, I I go fishing a lot, and I as soon as I fish, I I eat the fish, and uh, that always uh, bothered me in a sense. I always thought about it that. If they are eating the plastic, what would happen to me if I eat the fish? Because so far, I have no effect to it. But is it in me? How do I know? That, that's what, you know, I always wanted to know. Like, how do I find out if I'm affected? Is there any of uh, some kind of symptoms or th- that us humans, uh, you know, if we're contaminated by this plastic? Yes, uh, that is a very good question, and the answer is they're working on it. We don't know the long-term effects of us eating fish that has been contaminated with plastic, but we know the fact that plastic is uh, affecting the health of fish, definitely. And it it reflects on everything from their bloodstream to uh, to their muscles and their fat. Right. I, wow. they, well, you know, the fish are under so much pressure because uh, there's mercury, which is one set of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's radiation because Fukushima is still leaking radiation. So there's that problem. Uh, there's in the Hudson River in New York, there's PCBs. And there's a lot of health effects from a lot of that. Uh, a friend of mine who was a fisherman uh, believes that his wife uh, succumbed to MS because they used to eat a lot of fish from the Hudson River. And there was a lot of PCBs in the, in the water. Um, actually, I'm in a 
case right now where one party uh, disclosed that their client, who is a gigantic fish eater, has succumbed to mercury poisoning and has having cognitive issues. That actually, I have a letter to that effect <laughs> to all of us wow. our attorneys saying we cannot produce the client at this time due to high levels of mercury because this apparent person eat, 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 loved fish and ate fish three times a day, like every single day. And he must have eaten the kinds of fish that were bigger in the food chain so they had much more mercury. Uh, so fish are under just tremendous pressure. Uh, Jose, do you, do you deal with anything beyond plastics? Because the, the, ocean, the ocean has so many things going on. Um, or is, the, is your principal focus right now uh, plastics with the intent of maybe tackling other issues as, as you expand? Right now we're focused on plastic because it's, uh, such, it's, it's a ubiquitous problem. Yeah. And yes, you're right. There is the uh, uh, radiation from Fukushima and there is the mercury. All of that is definitely a problem that is contributing to ocean acidification. Uh, we are definitely focused on the plastic issue at the moment. How is plastic getting into the ocean if we're supposedly throwing all of our garbage into landfills and supposedly recycling most of our plastics? <laughs> supposedly. Well, I said supposedly. Supposedly, yes. <laughs> I'm not naive. I just said supposedly. The waste management system is broken, and it's um, and it needs attention. Definitely needs attention. It is a waste management system right now that you would think developing countries or underdeveloped countries will push landfills into their coast, into their rivers. Well, I just found out that there is actually a landfill that is pushed into the ocean in Alaska, wow. for example. Wow. And, wow. and may not be the only one. By that, I mean that truckloads of waste are dumped into an area, and then there are big um, bulldozers that throw that or push that into the, into the ocean, literally. There is one in Turkey, which is very famous because it's contributing hugely into the Mediterranean. There are several in Africa, and of course, the one that I just found out in Alaska. Wow. So this is a global problem. It, it is a global problem about our inability to manage our waste. And for upgyres, there is no such thing as waste. For us, everything is recoverable. Everything is a resource. We just haven't learned how to utilize it. Plastic is too valuable to waste, and it shouldn't be wasted. Now, waste plastic pollutes the environment, and that is the big problem. So what we are proposing is that we need to transform this waste management system into a plastic resource recovery recovery system. So are you essentially a think tank? A scientific uh, we're think not tank? A think we are not a think tank, no. We work with uh, and we do our utmost to work with organizations mm -hmm. that are think tanks and uh, with organization or with science uh, science bodies scientific bodies but do you have scientists on your staff or that we do not have scientists on our board director of uh, advisors or or um, directors no we do not but we work in scientific collaboration with for example the Vancouver Aquarium Ocean Pollution Research Program uh, so so how did this start there must have been a day when you were doing something else, and then the light bulb went off, and it was glass, not plastic. <laughs> and you said, "Oh my God, I, I got to do this. This is my this is my calling." Tell us about that. Twenty twelve, I attended the um, Zed Day conference here in Vancouver, and may you may be familiar with Zed Day, no, or Z Day. Yes. I, yeah, okay. I, uh, well, on behalf of the people who listen, including me, <laughs> I don't know what that well, is. Well, I know. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell us. Tell us. So while attending this conference as to how do humans interact with the planet 
and how can we uh, better interact with the planet, I learned that uh, plastic is a big problem in the ocean. And you mentioned something about a big mountain of plastic coagulating in the Pacific. It's not so. Unfortunately, it's not as simple as that. It's not accumulating all together and bonding all together so that it may be easy to pick it up and uh, bring it back, you know, clean it up. It's not like that. Uh, for example, the Netherlands, the Plastic Soup Foundation has described it as a soup because it's got micro, it's got small, very small, medium and very big parts that are floating both on the surface and in the water column. Lately, I think the most accurate definition of plastic pollution in the ocean is plastic smog. Because when you compare it with what is happening in our cities, it's just this particulate that is floating in the air and then it it comes down and it settles on the ground and it's, we're bringing it in, it affects our lungs, it affects our health, it affects our... I'm from Mexico City. I know about... I know a lot about smog. I grew up in smog. Now, cities uh, in China, cities in the UK are having this problem because, for example, in Europe, most of the vehicles over there are diesel power. They're not gasoline like well, here, but in this in Europe, they're diesel power. I think 80% of the vehicles over there are diesel. And diesel was promoted and sold as an environmental um, alternative. And it turns out that the particulate matter of diesel, and it doesn't, since you already know about uh, Volkswagen gate or the problem with Volkswagen and most of the diesel manufacturing uh, car companies have the same problem. They've been lying about the quality of the emissions from their vehicles, from their engines. Let, let me let me cut you here for one second because we have to take a break. But um, one time I was looking at some inventory involving soda cans, and you know this dirt on the cans, and I said, "Well, what's this?" And the guy I was with said, "Oh, that's diesel dust." I'm like, Bleh. "All right." So <laughs> with that, <laughs> diesel dust. Uh, we'll talk about that after the break. This is Richard <laughs> Solomon and Antonio Seant with. Jose Luis Gutierrez Gar Garcia from upgyres.org will be right back. Keep it locked in. We're going we're gonna to learn more about how to save ourselves from the problem of ocean plastics. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Rory Cosgrove, and you're listening to Rich Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. Welcome back. This is Richard Solomon from Taking Care of Business with my co-host and good friend Antonio Sayant, and we are Rocket Green Radio. And Antonio found a really cool guest. He, I don't know, I don't know where he finds them, but he does because <laughs> he calls me up and goes, "Hey, I got a great one for this week," and he'll tell me. It's like, "What are we doing?" He's going to do ocean plastics. I'm like, "Wow, that is good." So I have to get top tip, tip my hat off to Antonio, who really uh, scours the globe. Uh, to find, and, and we have some great stuff there on the public radio exchange and on YouTube, uh, Rocket Green Radio, and a lot of other places. So uh, our shows are there. We have um, everything from people who are trying to reduce plastic from actually being produced, uh, people who are looking for med medicinal botanicals. We have people trying to save elephants. We have people trying to save. Uh, all, all kinds of species. We have people trying to do um, like agricultural farming using used shipping containers. We've met true eco pioneers. And one of those pioneers is the gentleman on the phone with us, who is Jose Luis Gutierrez Garcia uh, from Vancouver, originally by way of Mexico, where he learned a little bit about pollution firsthand <laughs> and, and brought all of that knowledge with him uh, to fight it around the globe. Let's face it, there's, there's, you know, New York City has, you know, New York City touts itself as a green city. And yet I was at a lecture not that long ago with the Department of Environmental Protection and they said something kind of horrifying. You know, we have a waste treatment system where, you know, all the sewage from toilets is supposedly collected and treated. But when there's a big storm, 
and there's too much water, the system kind of gets overwhelmed. And so all of the water, the sewage and the regular water, you know, the rainwater, all gets emitted into our waterways. Now, it, it is amazing that in this day and age, we do something like that where diluted raw sewage is just put out there. But apparently we do that. And I'm, I'm slightly horrified that at this point in our technological world that we don't have a solution for that. And yet on top of that, that probably means that not only is there raw sewage, but I'm sure that the, the sewage system and big rains and things like that probably carry a lot of plastics, plastic bottles, plastic straws, plastic bottle caps, and other things that get washed right into our oceans. So that brings us back to you, Jose. So, you know, and, you know, you're telling us all around the world about all the plastic out there. Well, can I stop you right there for yeah. a second? Because I did a speech not too long ago, and I got very emotional because, <clears throat> you know, my parents, they, they, they had cancer. Uh, breast cancer, uh, skin cancer, and, and lung cancer. And she was like 85 at the time, 86. And uh, what I didn't understand is here's a woman who never smoked. So then I got very emotional because I, I literally said to all these people out in the audience that it's the food that we're eating, the air that we're breathing, and the water that we're drinking. Period. And, and I'll be honest with you because tap water to me, I, I don't think it's 100% pure, like New York says, period. And there's something wrong because there are a lot of people, uh, that, that I've done research that are dying at young age too, you know, in the 40s and the 50s. And that's young. Cancer. That's young. Yes. And, and none of them, have a history in their families that died of cancer. That's the odd thing. So when I go to, like the other day, I went to Starbucks and I did, I saw like a stirrer. Well, I thought it was a stirrer. I wasn't sure what it was, but it was plastic. And I asked the manager, I said, what is this? And he says, oh, that's for the lid. The, you know, the hole yeah. on the beverage when it gets hot and if it leaks, you put it in, you plug it. And I said, really? I said, why plastic? Uh, that's what we use. I said, do you recycle it? No, we throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, that hit me really hard because you can't really recycle something like that. And then we talk about straws all the time. But here's another item now. Now, now you have to look into that. Where is that going? Where is that? You know, cause you can't really recycle that either. It's too small. So it's a, not specified. Yeah, too yeah. small. Doesn't have a code. So on Jose, it, yeah. you know, this is and how many Starbucks are there in the world? Think of that. So let me ask Jose a question: How does does plastic ever break down? Ever, even like you know, twenty, thirty thousand years? Oh, that is a problem. The plastic does break down, and it breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces. But it never disintegrates As time totally. Goes by. It it um it disintegrates. What the problem is is that it, it doesn't get absorbed by nature. It's not something that nature can use again, like everything else that decomposes. Plastic is doesn't decompose. It just breaks into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. But it's there for thousands of years. Uh, and every wow. single organism that comes into contact with it, whether it eats it or whether it um, mostly eats it, uh, it gets affected. And on land, it just—it's just there. It's just there forever, for the most part. When you throw all this plastic into landfills, it just stays there because yeah. very, the conditions are not. Uh, appropriate for it to to do anything is <laughs> to really just do anything it just stays there well I, I remember listening to someone talking about the environment and they said something along the lines of you go to a, a retail place they give you a plastic cup of water you drink that water for under an hour 
and then the remaining refuse will last for like 40,000 years. So, mm-hmm. so something that you use just in a blink of an eye essentially lasts forever. And that happens every day, every hour, every minute, all over the place. You know? So that, that kind of begs the question, why don't we switch more to paper cups, paper straws, you know, some things that just, just could be replaced with something that's a little the bit more... The life cycle of... Yeah. Sorry. No. So Bioplastic, you yeah. mean? Well, can, we get, can we substitute plastic for other things? We can. Absolutely we can. I, I, we are at the time where we don't need plastic coming from oil any, any more and any longer. And looking at it, when looking at the entire picture, OPEC can't stop the slow, painful death of the oil economy. Oil is being replaced by renewable energy in the transport industry. We're looking at create, uh, making energy with renewable, with the sun and the wind, with waves. We are looking at the electrification of transport, everything from personal cars all the way to, <clears throat> excuse me, mining uh, uh, trucks. And if you're familiar with mining, they use these humongous trucks that the tires are probably one story high. Yeah. We're looking at the fact that oil is no longer needed for either uh, making energy or for vehicles to move along, including ships and vessels. So what is it going to come to when oil is very, very cheap because it's not needed anymore? And by the way, you may or may not be familiar, but everybody was worried about the peak, about peak oil, that we were going to run out of oil. Well, for many years, the uh, Russian scientists and and historians, not only Russian, but also, they were sounding the alarm that oil is ever-present and there are new deposits being formed uh, on a regular basis. It's not finite. It's infinite. So, for example, the U.S. is really, um, is really uh, gaining from shale, shale oil. Right. We don't need oil anymore to create plastics. I'll give you a perfect example. I don't like cooking, so I unfortunately have to go. I don't have to, but I go, and what do I find in the supermarket for uh, myself that wants to be practical and fast and easy to eat something healthy? Most of that food comes in a plastic package. So that plastic package was created using a lot of resources, water, oil, energy. It was transported using even more resources. It was uh, ended up at the place where they put my food into that container, and then it was again transported to the supermarket, where I finally go and pick it up, buy it. I empty my food in a container to heat it up, put it in the microwave, and I throw that plastic out. I usually, as you say, literally use it for a few for a few seconds, maybe a minute at the most, from taking taking my food out of the container to putting it somewhere else. That's very unfortunate because it goes. I put it in the recycling bin, but we. I'm not sure. Nobody is sure how much of this plastic is literally going to end up being recycled. It can be lost in um, in the transportation back to the recycling facility. It can be sent to landfill instead because it's contaminated with food, and we don't know how much contamination is acceptable on the food packaging. Yeah, these are all and now we are at the time where – go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. These are all important points. Please continue. We are at now at the time where we can make plastic of, from agricultural waste. From agricultural waste. Imagine all of that waste from our crops, wheat, for example, maize, all of that waste that sits on, uh, on the farmer's land. We're making plastics from it. We are making plastics from it. It's not that we will or that we could. There is already a company in China that is uh, already displaced 
hospital cutlery and hospital uh, trays in um, in Hong Kong with agri plastics. Do you know what you can do with this agri plastic? You can I can buy my food in this agri plastic co- container. I can bring it home. I can put I can take the lid off that container. I can put it in the oven. I can put it in the microwave oven. And then that plastic container can be reused for as many times as I want, or I can throw it into my compost bin. Wow. That's Ooh. sustainable plastic. Wow. There is plastic that is being made from the shell of shrimp that not only, I shouldn't say not only, it extends the life of your food. How so? So people are saying, you know, plastic is indispensable because it prevents waste food. Well, up to a, up to a point. But this material from the shell of, of shrimp, it actually extends the life of, of the food. Wow. In Indonesia, they're, um, they're uh, pledging, they're investing a billion dollars a year, every year, to replace petroleum plastics and convert them into cassava plastics, which are edible plastics. So if they end up, because they're very tourism focused, and right now in Bali and in in Indonesia in general, the problem of plastic pollution is so huge that they have recognized that their tourism, their fishing industries are being so affected that they need to to, uh, to address do it. this, yeah, to address it drastically. All of this is here now, and you are right when you mention the fact that solution technological solutions are available. They are. The what we need to do is scale them up. There are local solutions that work very well, and these local solutions need to be um, shared with the world. They, they need to be implemented worldwide. Plastic pollution is a global issue, and we as humans, we need to address it in a, uh, as a planet altogether. Not as a country, not as an industry, not as a brand. We need to address it as human beings. Do you think uh, educating the youth with this information while they're in school or uh, like an elective of, so, of some sort, to educate people uh, so everybody's on the same page and agrees because that's the future. You know, that's the future of this planet. And uh, I believe, you know, those are the future leaders that are going to own companies and they'll make the changes. You know, you got to start somewhere, I believe. And I believe the youth, like one more generation, like those kids, they're going around the world. You know, and, and, and talking about plastics and how bad it is. And, and, you know, people are listening to them. They're listening to them. I mean, I could speak all day. I could go to speeches, but for some strange reason, people connect with the youth more than they connect with us. That's the truth. I've seen it. You know, I, 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 if you if you if you watch those kids speak, right, so any any youth speak, everybody stops and they listen to them, and they actually apply exactly what they're doing more than if I tell somebody or educate somebody for some for some reason I don't know. So maybe educating the industry, the businesses, the schools, the governments, the communities um, to to do this because if not, we're going to be, it's going to be a a major problem in the future because I'll be honest with you. I walk the streets in New York, uh, waste management comes, they pick up the garbage and they leave garbage on the floor. Mm -hmm. It's all over the floor. And it's, I I just look at no, you know, the, the building, what they do is they, they send the, the, the person, the janitor outside to clean it, you know? And it doesn't make sense to me. They, they leave more garbage on the floor than they pick up. <laughs> so that's, you see, that's exactly <laughs> the problem that we have with waste management systems. 
That's right. exactly it. And you're right. What they are doing, what Olivia and Carter are doing from One More Generation, in incorporating education or creating, they created a curriculum for schools about plastic pollution is right. infinitely helpful. It, you, we need that for sure, but you still have the people who litter because they litter because they don't really, they don't care. And they don't care because but, they don't know. Right, hold on, hold on. But, they don't, they don't but, care, and we need to take a break. <laughs> but, but, but it shows you how fast exciting radio can be. Mm-hmm. So for those out there who are listening, please stay with us. You're listening to Taking Care of Business and Rocket Green Radio co-production. Uh, Richard Solomon and Antonio Seant, your hosts, and our guest is Jose Luis Gutierrez Garcia from Vancouver, Canada, and he is... Uh, a crusader in the saving of our oceans from the perils of plastics. We'll be right back. Keep it locked in. Hi, this is the Great Sordini. You're listening to Richard Solomon on 88.1 FM WCWP. Welcome back, our listening audience. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, uh, we have all kinds of stuff on YouTube, and feel free to send us Emails, we'll forward them to any of the guests that we have because we know how to get in touch with all the people who've been in our show. Our guest this time is a, a unique, a wonderful pioneer. Uh, and uh, his name is Jose Luis Gutierrez Garcia. He is from Vancouver. And according to uh, Miriam Webster, the name uh, is, let's see, hold on, I had, it, I had it right here. Here we go. Ready? It was... Gyre. There you go. <laughs> up gyre. That's the correct pronunciation. Up, up gyre, G-Y-R-E dot O-R-G. A great website. Okay. There's a, there's a challenge you wanted to talk to us about. Yes. So thank you. By the way, I should mention that the British pronounce it gyres, and uh, in North America it's pronounced gyres. So the challenge is this. 80% of ocean plastic pollution comes from land-based sources. Recognizing that we all have a role to, uh, to play, we all have a role in preventing marine plastic pollution, it is also clear that there has to be global solutions to this global issue. That's the only way for a sector like plastics to make progress on environmental effectiveness. At this time, the plastics industry, the Global Plastics Alliance, consumer brands and governments have the obligation, the responsibility, and also the opportunity to employ every tool available at their disposal to stop waste plastic from becoming the cause of high ecosystem degradation and solving the problem of marine plastic pollution. The Plastic Irreparabilist Challenge is a robust strategy to direct resources towards technological and business-based solutions that address our current fragmented plastic waste management system and make real progress towards transforming it into a plastic resource recovery system. The Plastic Irreparabilist Challenge is a competition, a worldwide competition, to develop and implement a global system that facilitates and accelerates the implementation of local solutions worldwide. And at the same time, It is also a competition that creates and scales a portfolio of local plastic recovery solutions around the planet. Right now, there are several initiatives that are raising money for research, cleanup, and changing the systems that create the problems of plastic pollutions in the first place. Objaris is inviting and welcoming partners and funders to sponsor the $30 million prize to award to the winners of the Plastica Reparabilis Challenge. Did did you say $30 million? $30 $30 million Canadian dollars, yes. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> thank you. That's great. No, no, it's going to start working on something in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to write us a check. No, no, no. I was going to try to get the check. <laughs> I figured since, since we're hearing this before anybody else, I'd get the jump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so keep going. Keep going. $30 million. I just wanted to wake everybody up. $30 million. And and how is that that going to be awarded? Uh, One prize split up? It is uh, $10 million 
for each of the three winning teams. So each one of the teams develops a integrated system that addresses the problem of both of plastic from plastic collection all the way to what do we do with all this plastic that we collected. Mentioning the fact that there are already a lot of bioplastics entering the market. And they are, for lack of uh, better description so far, for the plastics recycling industry, all these bioplastics are contaminating their, their waste stream or their resource stream. They're contaminating it because they cannot do anything with it. And um, then they probably end up throwing the entire batch of bioplastics and recyclable plastics into landfill because they cannot separate it. So the system will create a lot of these technologies already exist. Optical sorting, um, infrared light sorting. What do we do with these polymers? And how do we separate them? And how do we optimize their value? And at the same time, a lot of these bioplastics are recyclable anyways. So why do we throw them into the landfill to compost or to biodegrade when we can reuse them again? I mentioned these agri-plastics. They can be recyclable. So wait, what, what is a bioplastic? Is that, is that something that made out of, uh, like, like, say, corn or something? There are different kinds of bioplastics. Yes, they can come from um, renewable sources like plants. Some of them come from plants that, or from sources that are competing with our uh, uh, food chain. So, and some of these plastics that are called bioplastics, they just break down a lot faster than oil plastics without being absorbed by nature. So, that's also an issue to address. But all of these. Uh, materials have a value and all of these materials you know how they say this a high value plastic and a low value plastic and it's not worth doing anything with the low value plastic well this low value plastic could become feedstock for um, waste to energy or could become feedstock for um, uh, for other uh, uh, solutions that are already in the pipeline, mm-hmm. they're pre-commercial or they're at lab stage. All of these uh, innovations are either commercial or ready to be paid attention to, ready to be implemented. We cannot, uh, we cannot, um, this, uh, I don't know the right word, we cannot not look forward as to all of the solutions that are coming up. Because all of the solutions that are coming up are part of the portfolio of solutions that are going to make every single type of plastic or to, for us to optimize every single type of plastic, the value of it, of, uh, of them. There is no such thing as weight. waste. We just have to learn how to utilize it again and again and again. Let me give you a, a perfect example. We've been telling and asking professionals and experts about lint. You know, laundry lint, mm-hmm. lint that comes, the the fabric that gets shed in your washing machine and in your drying machine. Right, just make a new clothes. blanket out of it. <laughs> well, uh, some people would say that there's nothing that can be done with it. We ask Switzerland, and Switzerland has the fame of being, you know, uh, ahead of the curve on many on many instances. They said that there could be absolutely nothing that they could do with it, that it's impossible, and that's the way it is, period. Well, I'm very happy to report that we are in partnership with an Australian company that can convert dryer lint into plastic construction products. Wow. Wow. As simple as that. All right, but how do you collect all the lint efficiently to get into a pipeline because what you don't want is, you know, the lint weighs an ounce, and then you have to, like, I don't know, put in a, a mailer and then postage, and then it's going to truck somewhere, and then you've defeated the purpose. So how, how do we get over that, that hunt? And this is the perfect example of local solutions implemented globally. 
For example, this lint in Australia can be transformed into this product. Now, the solution that they have in Australia to convert commingled and contaminated plastic, so they recovered plastic from the ocean, from beach cleanups, from river cleanups. All of this plastic that it's not recyclable anymore, even though the material is recyclable, but because it's contaminated and it's commingled, it's not recyclable, they can convert it into uh, into construction materials, and they mix it with lint. So this solution that right now is being, uh, well, it has been developed, that it's working in Australia, can be scaled up around the world. So all of the commingled, contaminated plastic that can be hauled out of the Hudson River in New York can go to a recycling facility where this machine can convert this plastic into railroad ties. Right now, railroad ties are being made from wood and are being treated with uh, with very damaging chemicals that leach into our into our uh, waterways. So yeah, now think, they can be... I think telephone so, poles have the same problem. Exactly. And yeah. now they can be replaced with a product that is made out of plastic waste that is going to last for a very long time. Well, that's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Is, is, is the challenge twofold, lack of imagination and economy where, you know, you have to go through all this expense to recycle and I can just toss it? In other words, I have a, a plastic cup. I'm lazy. I just throw it away. Whereas for you, you have to figure out a, a system to code it, scan it, sort it, uh, transport it. You know, even the fact that we use plastic bags to contain the plastics that we recycle, that plastic bag itself may not be recyclable. Um, how do we overcome all that, especially laziness? That is the challenge, and that is the system, because it is worth recovering that material. It is economically and environmentally worth it to recover that material than tossing it out in the garbage because it's easier. Plastic bags have a very, very high value to be converted into uh, plastic fuel. You know how plastic comes from oil? Right. So there are technologies, and in the States, there are a couple of uh, successful companies that recover the oil from, uh, from plastic products, and they re-olify it into fuel. They make diesel and kerosene and gasoline back from plastic bags, for example. So, so, so you're going back to your creation, so, so to speak. You start as oil, you change, and you change back. Exactly. Right. Now, the challenge here is, as you know, the price of oil is going down, and it may never recover. I'm not, I'm not saying this myself. This is what the news are and the experts are saying in this area. So why do we convert plastic back into oil if... It's really not worth it anymore. So, and also the fact, even though this uh, plastic oil, it's a lot less polluting than the original oil because there is no sulfur in it. So the emissions are much less, but it can be converted into something that is going to last a very long time and that, that can be recycled after a very long time rather than burning it up into the atmosphere and contributing, even though it's a lot less, in, uh, uh, contributing less emissions overall. You know, at the well, beginning, Jairus uh, proposed that not only do we need to clean up the ocean from plastic pollution, but we could convert that plastic into fuel for ships because it had way much, uh, way much, uh, sorry, way less sulfur than the bunker fuel, which is the worst, the the lowest of the low type of fuel that shipping companies use. And uh, the pro the proposal is still out there. I think it is, it is valid, but that's how we started at the beginning. Now we think that. Uh, uh, we will contribute less to, uh, to emissions and pollution, air pollution, by converting that plastic into something solid that is going to last a very long time, and that can be recyclable. It's a tremendous challenge. Uh, the people who work with you and help you, 
what are some of the more interesting current projects that they're doing on like a real specific level? That they are doing. Yeah, that they're doing. And I'm sorry, what do you mean? Well, like, is there anybody doing anything in particular that you find very exciting? They're, they're doing something, you know, with, uh, I don't know, the, you know, the, the soda rings or who knows what. Is there anything that, that you'd like to share with us as a, an example of what they're doing right now that's working? That's, that's the people on your team. You know, yeah. The people on your team. On the board of directors or on the board yes. of advisors? Yeah. Well, one of our members on the board of directors is the person who has the um, connection to the agri-plastics. Okay. Ooh. So she is promoting this fact that that solution of using ag agricultural waste can be scaled up around the world. Right now it's being used in China, but it can be used in Brazil, it can be used in Mexico, it can be used in the United States and in Canada. That's what we need. We need to bring those solutions into our countries to create local, local uh, jobs, local green jobs, instead of exporting our waste all over the world, incurring emissions, and thinking that we're doing them a favor by sending them our garbage and paying pennies for them to convert into something that eventually is going to come back to us, to this continent in the form of plastic products that, I mean, come on, you can buy at a dollar store and really they're useless and they break down in a matter of moments or, or return back to us in, in the form of very cheap clothing, synthetic clothing. And, and, and low quality at the same time, yeah. And low quality, yes, exactly. All right, in the minute and a half we have left, would you share your contact and other information um, with our, our listeners and anything else you want to get out there, you know, your website, uh, email, anything that you care to, um, you know, uh, please for donations, you know, you, you got about a minute, so let, let's, let's let it rip. Thank you. So for everybody out there in New York and worldwide that are in the position of contributing and participating into this uh, prize purse of $30 million, please contact me. The email address is my first name, Jose Luis, at objires.org. The phone number is 604-984-4327. Extension 11. And the website is www.upgyres.org. And that's Vancouver, Canada. All right. Thank you. Now, now Antonio and I are going to start working on the $30 million. <laughs> Fantastic. Because it'll help, it'll help the show. <laughs> and there is more information. By the way, we also have, um, we also have a uh, petition on change.org for people to sign. You can go there and, and, uh, and, um, add your name to our petition so that we can make these, um, one, all plastics in one bin everywhere in the planet. All plastics in one bin everywhere in the planet. All righty. Well, it, with that, we, we need to go. It is uh, a very fast one hour of radio. And what you do is incredibly important and very inspirational. It, we need eco pioneers out there. We really, really do. I'm glad you're there on the front lines. I know Antonio is too. For all, for all of our listeners out there, uh, hey, there's $30 million if you, if you can come up with a good plan. Uh, in the meantime, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Keep it locked in on Taking Care of Business and Rocket Green Radio. Thanks for listening. Thank mm -hmm. you.